that music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal podcast is on the air. With Inside Sources, I am Michael Graham. Who runs Delaware Valley Journal? Well, it is Todd Shepard in between his uh, gigs overseeing an illegal uh, gambling operation and uh, selling Amway. How are you, Todd? Uh, runs. <laughs> runs <laughs> Delaware Valley Journal. <clears throat> Uh, uh, very we good. Well, Mr. Graham. So, uh, Pennsylvania remains at the center of the universe uh, as uh, President Trump continues to file lawsuits and talk radio continues to team with talk of conspiracy. But is it safe to say now, you know, a week and a few days after the election, that uh, we know what happened in Pennsylvania is that no matter how they count the votes, Biden won? I think so. But when you say Pennsylvania remains at the center of the political universe, the voice I hear in the back of my head is Garth from from Wayne's World, where he's like, turn it off, Garth, or, turn it off, Wayne, turn it off. Like, I think everyone's ready for the, the you know, the tilt the world right. to stop for a little bit, please. Uh, but yes, I mean... Uh, you know, again, as, as just trying to consume all the news that I do in, in the course of a day, I was listening to Chris DeGaulle this morning. And, and of course, you know, he's a talk radio host in Philly who is pretty convinced there was fraud in various areas of Pennsylvania. But he said, you know, does that actually stack up to 10,000 votes worth? Probably not. Right. Was it systemic? Probably not. And the other thing is, you know, um, I, everybody has pointed out there, well, not everybody, but there have been good analyses that the, the lawsuit that's going on right now, it really makes a claim that there was a two tier process, one for the mail in ballots and then the one for the, the process for the people who voted regularly. But the question is, is, is that enough for elements right. of the election to be overturned? Wall Street Journal had a great article that basically said courts never do this. And and they just it's it's far too big a step for a court to take a leap like that. Look how shy they were in the other things other than the one lawsuit where the Pennsylvania Supreme Court did what they did. Right. No. And that's, uh, you know, when the tale is told in the future, when it's uh, there's not a White House at risk, I think people can look back at the decision of the court to have Pennsylvania fundamentally change its voting practices so close to the election as a mistake. They'll just, you know, that's just, it doesn't matter whose side you're on or what you're trying to accomplish. Changing the rules for voting late in the game is probably something that should be avoided. But unfortunately, Todd Shepard, the Delaware Valley and Pennsylvania can't avoid being the center of politics because as you've reported at DelawareValleyJournal.com, it's very likely that a local congressman is going to be at the center of governance in when the uh, new smaller Democratic majority takes control of the House representatives in a couple of weeks. Right. Listeners to this podcast will remember I'll hold myself up here for some uh, fun making. But uh, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I said Brian Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania's first congressional district. I said he would win, but he would win by such a small margin that it would really make Pennsylvania Republicans sit up and take notice. Mm -hmm. Well, bam. <laughs> boy, did he... <laughs> Boy, he, he actually made me sit up and take notice for the opposite reason. He increased his lead, his 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 victory total from 2018. Um, so that I mean, that just it, it tells me a lot of things. It also brings up a whole host of questions. Um, I will tell you, I was talking with the GOP uh, insider a couple of days ago, and he said, and uh, we're probably working on this story here at Delaware Valley Journal. He said, but I'm telling you the the myth of the disappearing bucks GOP voter was demolished on election day. Mm -hmm. And Fitzpatrick was the leading light of that right. theme, right? So, but yes, but 
the, the other big shock is I, I thought the Republicans would lose House members. Instead, they gained. So it looks like the, the difference between the two parties could be five or seven members between exactly. their majorities. When that happens, it almost always follows that it's the moderates in the middle. Uh, who and it doesn't matter of what party who end up being key. What really started me on this story, thinking about it that way, was our previous reporting on Senator Tom Killian, who lost his Chester County race. But you know, we had quoted someone there who said, "Look, the Democrats are going to be happy they beat Tom Killian, right?" He said, "But in the, the truth is, is they're still going to be in the minority." And they're going to wish they had a moderate like him that they could pick off on issues and they won't have him around anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. And when you talk about whether it's moderate, centrist, whatever, uh, you talk to the folks at the Luger Center who track bipartisanship. And uh, where does Brian Fitzpatrick rank? Uh, I mean, he ranks number one with a bullet. And and I don't even know if you can still get the bullet when you're number one. Right. Like <laughs> that, that doesn't make sense. But like, uh, I mean, he he he's gotten the not only is he number one, but he's he's gotten the highest ranking that they've ever received mm. or that they've ever given out. Sure. I mean, so um, and he's not alone in the Delaware Valley. There's another bipartisan member of Congress on the other side of the aisle. Yeah. Chrissy Houlihan, uh, mainly Chester County and a little bit into Berks County. Uh, she is she's ranked well, but she's also a part of this problem solvers caucus, which I think a lot of people maybe not haven't heard about in the last couple of years. I think people will start to hear a little bit more about it in 2021. And uh, it's, it, once again, it's a group that tries to get beyond kind of traditional ideological uh, viewpoints and build you know, consensus for actual policy. And what I think you're going to see happening again and again is issues are going to come down and both sides are going to be looking for votes and they're going to be looking at these two votes because, as you pointed out, they could be a third or a quarter of what you need to make a change. And we haven't even talked about that. There are a, a you know, flurry of other moderates. So the moderates will be even more powerful from the Republican side out in California, for example. And then you still have some traditional, you know, uh, center leaning, uh, center right leaning Democrats in the South and not many, but a few uh, Congressman Jordan, I believe his name is in, in Georgia. And so he, Brian Fitzpatrick and Chrissy Houlihan could be at the center of how, governance happens in the house so that's going to keep delaware valley journal in the you know near the hub of of american politics you talked about uh fitzpatrick's numbers what about the numbers in the state treasurer's office todd shepherd this is this is really going to take some time to sort out here because i i think and i'm really starting to see the national pundits who are scratching their head at what happened in pennsylvania the way Biden looks like he's going to win at the top of the ticket, but Republicans just outperformed everywhere else down ballot. I mean, no one saw this coming. And especially where that really stands out are the two row races that they won for Auditor General. But we reported on Republican Stacey Garrity winning the treasurer's race. Here's what's odd about that is when the AP called the race for Joe Biden, he had a 34,000 vote lead. Now, granted, that was going to expand because most of the ballots yet to be counted were mail-in. But Garrity claimed victory on Tuesday, uh, and Torcella, her opponent, the state treasurer, he conceded. When the Associated Press reported on all of those developments, they said, we're still not calling the race because she could still fall into a recount area. She was leading by 74,000 votes. <laughs> um, for, for the remaining votes that were outstanding, for her to have to fall into a recount zone, right. they would have to break essentially 85% in Torcella's wow. behavior, or in his favor, I'm sorry. 
But here I got I have a theory I want to run by you and see what you think about this. So Torsella concedes. Mm-hmm. Now the AP thinks maybe there's a chance that there's a recount. Do you think Torsella concedes because he doesn't want to spark a recount? Because look, if you recount, you recount every race, not just the I'm presuming that you recount every race, which would mean presidential. Do you think someone at the presidential level said, hey, Torsella, you're not going to <laughs> you're not going to be the reason we recount ballots statewide in Pennsylvania. You're going to you're going to concede. That's Possible? A- likely. I, I think it's a, a workable theory, without a doubt, and it is still odd. Um, here we are recording this in the afternoon of uh, Thursday, uh, November 12th. Has the AP called the Treasurer's race yet? No, uh, not that I've seen. <laughs> I mean, and, and you know, again, they, yeah. And again, you know, here's the other thing is, is out of the votes that are still remaining, she also has an advantage just by the fact that about 3% of those people won't even vote for treasurer. So exactly. that, that takes a whole nother chunk of possibilities off of the board for, for Torsella to, to make a comeback. Just, it's just, it's not going to happen. Just very, very, very strange. No doubt about it. Hey, let's talk a little bit about uh, COVID and then we're going to bring on our guest, uh, a political consultant out of DC who's been keeping an eye on things in Pennsylvania. Um, when the uh, COVID-19 crisis was at full swing and the lockdowns were fully in place, there was a lot of conversation that the isolation that came with the lockdowns was going to lead to other problems. And some of those problems we have seen evidence of, like uh, education, students losing educational progress because they're not in a class and they're trying to do it by Zoom, et cetera. Obviously, economic impacts. But there there were uh, many conversations about health impacts separate from the virus and in particular mental health impacts, more alcoholism, drug overdoses, and suicides. You uh, looked around at some of the numbers inside Delaware Valley when it comes to uh, suicides and overdoses. What did you find? What we're seeing so far is uh, suicides are basically steady when we compare them to the last three years. And we're talking about Chester and Montgomery County data here. And uh, so that's that's positive news because there was a lot of concern that, you know, uh, people with their depressed economic circumstances or, or other reasons, uh, you know, would, would ha- take this as a choice when they shouldn't. Uh, as for overdoses, that's a harder figure to pin, pin down always because sometimes the toxicology data is a little bit laggy. But so far, we're seeing a very slight increase, somewhere around 5 and 8%. Uh, but that's so slight, it's very hard to say whether it's attributable to the, the COVID lockdowns or not. So that's something we're going to continue to keep an eye on. We're still trying to get data out of Bucks and out of Delaware counties. We'll report on that when we can. But in the in the short term, it is very good news, though, that, that these mental health issues haven't shown themselves in any additional deaths or very, very few if in, in those categories, I should say. So it's my pleasure to welcome from 270 to win. Is it 270 to win strategies, Linda? Or is it 270 to win or just 270 do what I say? It's 270 strategies. 270 strategies. She's Linda Tran. You see her on CBS News and other outlets all the time. And we are thrilled that she is on the Delaware Valley Journal podcast. Aren't we, Todd? Very thrilled. Linda, thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. So um, before we get to the big mega micro picture of Pennsylvania, what should smart people have learned about American politics from Tuesday's election? Wow. Uh, 
where to begin, Michael and Todd, so much to learn. And truthfully, I think that we won't be able to make any final, final assessments until the results are totally certified and we get a chance to really look under the hood on the overall demographics and what the electorate ultimately ended up being, both nationally and in some of the key states like Pennsylvania. But overall, I mean, I think there are a couple of big takeaways. One is that the country remains quite divided, and that's something that I think both parties are going to have to grapple with if they want to be able to carry the mantle of representing the majority of Americans, you know, despite the fact that ultimately I think Joe Biden's gonna come out maybe 7 million total votes ahead. The fact that he was the candidate to receive the greatest number of votes in history, and then the second greatest number of votes in history was Donald Trump tells you something about the state of affairs that I think uh, both sides of the aisle would do really well to, to take a close look at. I also think it's pretty exciting, honestly, that so many folks turned out, especially in such challenging and unprecedented times. And I really hope that that ultimately means that you know we'll have greater turnout in future electoral cycles. And then the last thing is that um, I think that the conventional wisdom around different demographic groups being aligned with one party or another is really and truly dead. And ultimately, a lesson from that for both Democrats and Republicans ought to be that they really need to reconsider how they're organizing, how they're engaging folks, and how they view the issues that really matter to people. As somebody who has to, you know, work with candidates and you have to, you know, give them data, et cetera, uh, what are you going to do with the performance of the polls in this election, particularly when you factor in how badly they missed the 2018 Florida races and then, of course, the 2016 fiasco? What do you tell your clients about polls? You know, I think there's a lot of soul searching that needs to be done uh, in the polling industry overall. I think certainly traditional pollsters really sat up um, sharply after 2016. 2018, I think they were significantly closer to the mark. And then 2020, we see that we're back off again. And a piece of me wonders how much of this is kind of the silent Trump vote with a silent Trump majority, depending on how you look at it. And some of it, I wonder if it is ultimately a structural issue that we need to sort out related to landlines versus cell phones, you know, online research versus um, in-person one-on-one research. And I think there's a lot of um, evaluation and assessment still to come. Uh, one more question before Todd jumps in here to talk about Pennsylvania. I, my, my bridge to the Pennsylvania conversation starts here. ABC, Washington Post, Biden plus seven. New York Times, Siena, Biden plus six. Monmouth, Biden plus seven. All the big name polls have the race widely off. And you know the hilarious part, Linda? The way that 538 and RCP get their numbers not to look so bad is they pull in Rasmussen, Susquehanna, and Trafalgar. All the polls that they mocked all year long that bring the margin down so it doesn't look like polling did so badly. It's just amazing. Is it the case that Trump is the ingredient, possibly, that, that and this is what I've heard several pollsters say, my polls work just fine unless you have a Trump on the ballot. And then once you stick in Trump, it's like sticking in radium, you know, it just makes everything melt down. Well, I mean, I do think that it's a, a question. It's an, it's an open question how much of the um, inaccuracy is related to Donald Trump specifically. But I think in any industry, especially one that is focused on data and needs to actually engage and interact with a representative uh, set of folks, uh, should expect that it's going to need to evolve and adjust its approach over time. And I think polling is no different. 
Linda, what we've seen in Pennsylvania so far is that although it looks like Biden, of course, will continue to gather the votes that are left to be counted and he'll hang on to that probably through the legal challenges to win Pennsylvania, Republicans still outperformed in ways that they didn't really expect. So, for example, they won state treasurer, won uh, state auditor general. Uh, they did better in the state house and state senate than they thought. You know, just because I'm a little tunnel vision, I have a little tunnel vision just on Pennsylvania, how odd is the state in that regard or what other states is Pennsylvania similar to in, in terms of how the 2020 uh, turnout came out? You know, I think Pennsylvania is um, almost a microcosm of what we've seen nationally. You know, from uh, my side of the ledger, uh, we often talk about Pennsylvania being Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and Alabama in between. And that's, you know, not dissimilar from how we would <laughs> describe the, the rest of the country. And I think that those kind of disparate split ticket style results that you just described, Todd, are also what we're seeing all around the country. So, you know, again, I think that um, both parties have kind of um, retreated to their corners and they've got their tribes. And if they want to be able to have broader uh, appeal and to be able to say that they represent the majority of Americans, both of them are going to have to make some significant changes. We did a story this week about uh, Brian Fitzpatrick, moderate from Bucks County. Um, you know, he, the Luger Center has ranked him the most bipartisan member of Congress. Given that there are going to be narrow majorities, we our story centered on the fact that Fitzpatrick could be sort of a, a key player in the upcoming Congress because he's from that that uh, choice middle ground now. Mm -hmm. But is that the sort of thing that ultimately we can expect to see? Filt I guess the question would be this: if if divided government produces a more moderate DC. Should we expect to see that filter down to local politics now that Trump is gone, or is or does the the partisanship still ratchet up, in, you know, in states like uh, a state that has Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Alabama in the middle? Well, you know, I think for the sake of the nation and for the sake of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, that we do see a moderation. And uh, as the president-elect Joe Biden said the other day, the end of this era of demonization. I don't think it serves our democracy, small d democracy. I don't think it serves uh, the citizens who live in Pennsylvania or anywhere else around the country if we have two parties that continue to be at each other's throats in a race to see who could be the most extreme. I do think that having uh, vice, the vice president-elect Kamala Harris, in addition to uh, President-elect Joe Biden, having the histories that they've had, which are generally more moderate, more practical, and more focused on you know, legislative solutions, uh, really charts the course for what we can expect to see over the next four years. And hopefully that does have a trickle-down effect uh, all around the country. And so Pennsylvania has sent Brian Fitzpatrick back. He's the Luger Center's number one most bipartisan member of Congress at the moment. You see out in California, some moderate Republicans, you know, defeating some Democrats in some of those districts. As you look across the country, Linda, at people who might, you know, be in that, you know, the deal making. Remember back when they had gangs in Washington all the time? Remember they'd have a gang of <laughs> gang 14, of a gang of nine? You know, yeah. Who, who are some of the gang members that in the House or Senate that you would suggest we keep an eye on that might be part of, you know, making these bipartisan deals? Well, I think some of those folks that were part of those gangs, as you just described it, Michael, um, are still big players on Capitol Hill. I think about you know, none other than Senator Mark Warner um, from Virginia, where, where right. my family lives. And I think about people like Tim Kaine, also from Virginia, who are 
practical and they obviously have strong democratic values, but they, they want most to tackle the challenges, the very real concerns that are facing the American people. And they had been able over time to work with people like the John McCain's of the world. I think Mitt Romney is another person who is also you know, very uh, centered in his values, but wants to get things done. And you see people like Lisa Murkowski, you see people like Susan Collins, who of course has come under fire, especially from the left uh, in recent years, but was also always somebody who was seen as trying to do what's right, right. and being much more um, likely to work across the aisle than other, others in her party. And then the last, my last question for you before Todd wraps us up is uh, the, to me, one of the takeaways from the way people voted where you had a vote for Biden at the federal level, and then you had a, you know, a lot of votes for Republicans at state level, is that people didn't buy the notion that Republican equals Trump and that, you know, everybody who's Republican is the same as Trump. And so they're all, you know, and whatever the pejoratives are that people had about Trump, they were able to kind of see past that. But there are elements uh, of the Democratic Party, maybe they get too much media attention, I don't know, but who really have sent the message of, you know, anyone who works with Republicans, you're dead to me and we must, you know, burn every Republican down, et cetera. How would, how do you see that negotiation, that process going forward inside the Democratic Party uh, as Biden prepares to govern? Well, you know, what's interesting, Michael, is that this whole notion of the uh, super progressive wing of the Democratic Party and more kind of center and center and uh, moderate Democrats uh, competing with each other isn't actually new at all. Of course, we have some um, pretty amazing celebrities like the AOCs of the world really, really drawing uh, attention to the far left, but you know we've always been a big tent party. We've always had a variety and diversity of opinions. And I don't think that that's going to change anytime soon for Democrats. But I do think, however, that everything that we've heard from President-elect Joe Biden and uh, his team over the last several weeks indicates that we're trying to chart a, a path forward that makes people feel like they're represented no matter where they fall on the spectrum and that encourages more people to get involved, not less. Linda, uh, it's never too early to go ahead and start uh, looking at 2022. So um, <laughs> you know, Pennsylvania will have uh, an open Senate seat because uh, we know that uh, Toomey will, will not run again. So, but uh, no Senate race takes place in a vacuum. So what, what does the landscape look for the two parties? Uh, you know, let's say Republicans come out of this with a, a one seat majority. What does the 2020 landscape look and who's on offense, who's on defense there and how, how might that affect how the spending goes in the Pennsylvania race? Well, honestly, I feel like it's quite early uh, for us to start gaming out what 2022 looks like. Um, See, this is the problem. I want to interrupt. This is the problem I told you, Todd, with having people on the podcast who know what they're talking about. It ruins <laughs> it for the rest of us. We want to do wild, uninformed speculation. Here comes Linda Tran, <laughs> do so many strategies. Well, actually, your question's idiot. I mean, come on, just throw, throw us some bones. Give, give us some wild speculation, Linda. 2024, uh, 26. Wild speculation is is not part of my MO. <laughs> I try to be grounded in the numbers, my friend. I wonder who's the most who's the most celebrity person that could that could be a Pennsylvania candidate in the mold of celebrity mold of Trump. Um, you know, but that's a that's a question for another podcast. Linda, thank you so much. You've been you've been terrific and we appreciate all of that insight. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate it.
Always great to get the uh, D.C. perspective on what's going in, on in Pennsylvania. I know a lot of people may say, well, you know, it's the Beltway, but still <laughs> how that sort of thinking goes on, it, it does affect everyday decisions that, that deal with state representatives, state senators. That kind of strategizing always tr trickles down to that kind of local level. So always good to, to hear what's going on. I especially th thought that first question from you, Michael, was it really is the key one because while the public's very frustrated with polling, the, the real trickle-down effect here is there are people that rely on polling to make big-dollar decisions in politics, and they've got real figuring out to do in terms of the next election. And it affects our policy at uh, Delaware Valley Journal and Inside Sources because we now give polling less credibility, and so we are using it less to rely on you know, for stories, et cetera. And because you just can't, we don't know what we've got, but the best thing is I'm just a huge Linda Tran fanboy. Uh, we did, election night. Uh, we did some uh, CBS work together and a couple of election nights and she's just, I just like hanging out with smart people who know a bunch of stuff that I don't. And uh, so the reason why I like reading your stuff, Todd at the Delaware Valley journal to find out what the heck is going on. Where can people find your content? On the Twitters, at DV underscore journal. On Facebook, you know, just go to your search tool, type in Delaware Valley Journal up in the search tool. That'll be easy. If you have an op-ed you'd like to write for us, if you have a story idea, please feel free to email me. It's not a secret. Todd, T-O-D-D, at insidesources.com. He's Todd Shepard, editor of Delaware Valley Journal. From Inside Sources, I'm Michael Graham. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air. 